Trinity Baptist Church. This is from the story of God. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, those in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Great Sea as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites and the Amorites and Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. That's got to be one of the most cockamamie ideas I've ever heard come out of your mouth. What were you thinking? You weren't. You know why I'm alive? Because I live by the three T's. Tactic, tactic, and tactic. I know. Tactic, tactic, tactic. Rushni, Abdul. Gentlemen, if we've ever used our best strategery, the time better be now. Yes. The entire Gibeonite army is counting on us to save the country. Save it. And it is time that we push the envelope. Push the envelope. We need to think outside of the box. Think, think. Reach for the stars. Reach. We need to put our best foot forward and really shake things all about. Yes. And do the hokey pokey and turn ourselves around. <laughs> because here's what it's all about. The Israelites are on a major war campaign. Every city they attack, they conquer. Yes, conquered. You've heard the stories. You don't have to hear it from me. It's pretty unbelievable, I know. Unbelievable. Like Jericho. I mean, whoever came up with that plan, march, 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 all day, all night. And then on the seventh day, they all blow their horns, and then the walls came tumbling down like Legos. I mean, Jericho, they didn't have a chance. And the city of AI. The city of AI. The Israelites running away, pretending to be scared to have the men of AI chase them. Only for those same men to turn around and see their city up in smoke. The Israelites only had 35,000 men. But you have to admit, that was really, really smart. That was, that was a good tactic. <laughs> yes. And the king of AI, hanging them there at the city gate, swinging back and forth for the entire world to see. Cold. Cold, oh, cold. And, and, and what about the, the Amorite kings, what they did to them across the river? All right, all right, all right. Listen, this is what's disturbing. We are directly in their paths. Our spies tell us that they've seen them 40 kilometers due north of us. Yeah. How far is that? 25 miles. Oh. They've climbed up to Mount Ebal for a worship service and will be coming back down. They'll be coming around the mountain when they come. And may I add, they'll be here pretty toot sweet. Toot sweet. We need to think about what their weaknesses are and attack them. Really go after them where it hurts. Oh, I, I know what their weaknesses are. It's their men. They don't have very many. <laughs> That's never been a problem for them before. Maybe we need to think about their strengths and go after them on that level. Yes. Oh, I know their strengths. Uh, their strengths. They say their strength is their God. They say that their God is their strength and their fortress and their high tower. Their God is an awesome God who reigns. Okay, 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 enough, enough. What God can we call on to defeat the Israelites? I know, I know this. We can call on the God of invincibility 
Jehovah Bob. Also known as G.I. Joe. Yes. All right, all right. Good, good. I have to admit, we will end up having to align ourselves with other kings of the region. I hate to think of splitting the spoils, but it may be our safest plan. Safest plan. I have an idea. It's a really, really, really good idea. Umbrella of mercy. Here's what I'm thinking. <laughs> we need to attack them like they attacked the city of AI. All we need, a plan. <laughs> and break! I like that idea. That is a really, really smart idea. I wish I would have thought of that. But you didn't. Good job, Abdul. Good job. Thank you, sir. Now all we need is a volunteer. All right, come on, hands in. One potato, two potato, three potato, four, five potato, six potato, seven potato, more. Roshni, you're it. What, but, but he, Zip it. He, Zip it up. Okay, I'll do it. Don't worry, Rosh. We got your back, bro. Attaboy, Rosh. You'll go down in the national history books for your act of bravery. A real hero. A national hero. National hero. A national hero? Oh, yes. You really think so? Yes, Absolutely. sir. Let's get your gear. Not sure it actually happened like that, but <laughs> the Gibeonites had to come up with a plan, and their plan is <coughs> in Joshua chapter 9. If you want to turn there, we'll, we'll be kind of walking through the text this morning. In, in verses 4 to 6, this is <coughs> I really do feel fine. It's just... Four to six is the, the plan that they came up with. It says, They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks <coughs> and old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant, a distant country. Make a treaty with us. You know, it's not hard to admire the Gibeonites. I mean, if, if you put yourself in their position, what else would you do, right? I mean, you've got this military juggernaut headed your, your direction, and you've got a wife and kids and husband, family, home. You, you want to protect that. And, and so you've got to come up with something. And so how, how, do you, how do you protect yourself? Well, they came up with this, this deception. And um, 
I think it's a pretty good plan, right? (coughs) The question is, why didn't they just walk in to, you know, the camp and, and come clean and say, hey, we're the Gibeonites, we're right down the road, we know you're headed our direction, and we don't really want to be killed. And so can we cut a deal? Why didn't they just go in and, and be up front with it? Well, because God had told Israel not to entertain such things. In Exodus chapter 23, you can read it sometime, it's in verses 31 to 33, God tells Moses, I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert to the river. I will hand over to you the people who live in the land and will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in the land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. See, God is pretty clear. God says, cities in Canaan, wipe them out. Don't make a treaty with them. Why not? Because if you do, you will be ensnared by their gods. They will lead you away from me. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 10, it says, When you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. If they accept and open their gates, all the people in it shall be subject to to force labor and shall work for you if they refuse to make peace and they engage you in battle, lay siege to that city. You're thinking, well, wait a minute, Keith, that sounds like there's a provision for peace. Yes, there is. Verse 15, this is how you are to treat all the cities that are at a distance from you and do not belong to the nations thereby. So here is this provision for peace for, for peoples who are far away. But he goes on in verse 16. And the cities of the nations the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, i.e. Canaan, do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them as the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods and and you will sin against the Lord your God. So, So God tells Israel, look... If they're far away, you can make a treaty with them. You can make peace with them. But if they're near, you got to wipe them out. If they're in Canaan, you got to wipe them out because I don't. Because I want you to be a city on a hill, and if you let them live, you're going to be drawn into their stuff, and you're not going to be who I called you to be. So apparently, the Canaanites have heard about this. Because it says, if you look down in verse 24 in Joshua chapter 9, it says, They answered Joshua, Your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants before you. So we feared for our lives because of you, and that is why we did this. So it's not hard to understand the Gibeonites, right? And... Maybe even admire their ingenuity. They came up with a plan to save their hides and it worked. Put yourselves in Israel's place for a minute. What choices does Israel have? 
I mean, on the one hand, they can, they can choose to believe the Gibeonites, that they really are from far off and thus let them live. Or they can disbelieve the Gibeonites, call them liars, and kill them. Right? Because that's what God's calling them to. Those are their two options. But if they disbelieve them, and they really are from far off, and they kill them, that would be bad. So Israel's kind of in a tough spot. What harm would come for them to enter into this treaty and let them live? It's not hard to sympathize with the Israelites. So to admire the Gibeonites and to sympathize with the Israelites is only natural. But here's the thing. It is when we rely on the only natural that we get in trouble. If you're visiting this morning and you're, um, you haven't been with us for this series through the book of Joshua, you may feel a little bit out of the loop. So let me just give you some context. The book of Joshua is about Israel's conquest of the land of Canaan, which is the land that God had promised to give Israel, which would enable them to step into this abundant life um, with him. And so as we've been going through this book, we've been learning some principles for us and what it looks like for us to take new ground and step into the abundant life that God has promised us in Christ. Because just as as Israel had to do some things in order to, to take the new ground of Canaan, we have to do some things to take the new ground in our lives that God has called us to. And so we've been learning these principles, some of them good and some of them not so good, about what Israel's going through. And we've been applying them to our lives. And this morning, there's some not so good and there's some good that Israel does that we need to look at. And the first thing is not so good. In verse 14, we see Israel's error. It says, the men of Israel sampled their provisions, the Gibeonites' provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them and let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Do you see what happened? Joshua and the Israelites did what was only natural. They took the, the word of the Gibeonites at face value. They, they used their natural abilities to examine the evidence before them. They sampled the provisions. They examined the shoes. It all, the story made sense. They, they did, in biblical language, um, they were walking by sight and not by faith. See, they were doing what was only natural. And that had gotten them into trouble before, right? Remember in the first battle of Ai when the spies came back and gave Joshua the report? Joshua didn't consult the Lord. Joshua just listened. He took their assessment. They'd done their due diligence and he made a decision and thus they got routed. 
He's doing the same thing here. Um, doing what was only natural at Ai got him in trouble. And here in verse 14, it says, They did not inquire of the Lord. Friends, when we do what is only natural and not inquire of the Lord, sooner or later, we will get in trouble. If you look at the, the victories of Israel, you'll notice that they always inquired of the Lord. They went to the Lord in prayer. They, they looked for guidance in the Word. They, they did things His way. And they were victorious. But in the one time before this, when they did what was only natural at Ai, they had been defeated. You would think that Joshua would learn his lesson. Right? But here, while they did their due diligence naturally, they didn't pray or seek out the Lord. And there's an interesting footnote to this if you look at verse 18. It says, the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Here's a covenant oath sworn in the name of the Lord, but it's, it's ironic, if that's the right word. They swore this oath in the name of the Lord, and yet they never even consulted the Lord as to whether or not they should enter this covenant or not, Right? How often do we do that? How often do we say, Lord, I've done my due diligence. Lord, I've, I've looked at everything um, and only naturally. And I've figured out that this is the best way that we should go forward. This is the best plan. Now, please, Lord, bless my plan. How often do we do that? Every day, maybe. You know, we, we ask the Lord, we, we make oaths, we use the Lord's name on things that are only not, it's all about us. It's my plan, not his plan, without even consulting him. That's what Israel does. But friends, the scripture is really clear about finding God's will in the decision-making process. Remember what James says? Um, James writes in verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Friends, life is not only natural. There is a spiritual dimension to life, a supernatural dimension to life that we must always be cognizant of. And that means we can't just rely on natural discernment, but we have to go to the Lord and we have to find out what He wants with regard to what's going on. What does Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Right? We can't just, and I'm not saying we shouldn't l- l- look at things 
naturally and do our due diligence. But that, it can't end there. We must inquire of the Lord. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said that though we live in this world, the weapons that we fight with are, are not of this world. They're, they're divinely powerful for the uh, destruction of strongholds. Paul, Paul says that we got to fight with stuff that's more than natural and that God's given it to us. In Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says that the, the struggles that we have are not of flesh and blood, but but they are uh, against the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. They're the schemes of the devil. And he says the way that you fight against those schemes of the devil is by putting on the full armor of God, right? And there's one offensive weapon in the armor of God. What is that? The word of the Lord. The sword. It says... How do you fight the schemes of the devil unless you're availing yourself of the, of the sword? Unless you're availing yourself of the word. And he goes on in, in chapter 6 and he says that we need to be praying every, all the time. We need to be constantly seeking what the Lord would have us to do. Alan Redpath, who's a theologian, says it seems to take us a long time to discern the lesson that neglect of prayer always leads to trouble and destroys the spirit of discernment. Neglect of prayer always suggests pride in our own judgment, which is fatal. We need to be people of prayer and we need to be people of the word. Um, if we are going to do more than what's only natural. If we are going to, to get the, the direction that we need from the Lord. So the thing that Israel did poorly in this. Is that they didn't seek the Lord. They didn't seek him in prayer. They didn't seek out his direction in the word. And it got them into trouble. They entered into a covenant that they never should have entered into. But they did one thing right. Verse 16. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, um, um, Kephirah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn, had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that the wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community. So the leader's promise to them was kept. See, verse 18, the people complained against the leaders and they had a right to do that because the leaders had made a really bad decision, a really bad mistake. But I want you to notice the leaders didn't rationalize, they didn't um, justify, they accepted the criticism, but neither did they repudiate the treaty that they'd made. They honored their word. Joshua says... 
um, essentially here's what we did and, and why it has to stand. He says, we made, we made a covenant, we made an oath in the name of the Lord of Israel. And, and Joshua says, look, we've, we've given our word. And he took that very seriously. Now, he could have rationalized, as a lot of us are prone to do when we get into a bad situation. He could have said, well, you know, we were deceived and therefore we're not bound to this. But he didn't do that. He said, this is about, this is about more than us and the Gibeonites. This is about us and our God. This is about the reputation of, of our God who is serious about covenants. This is about his name and, and his character. And we've got to stand true to that. Friends, our God is a God who keeps his word. And our God is a God who tells us to keep our word. We need to be a people who are committed um, to honoring our commitments. Committed to honoring our commitments. Yeah, anyway, you get that. Um, Joshua doesn't look for loopholes. He just um, stands and he basically says to the nation, from now on, through Israel... God is going to protect these foreigners. A covenant is a covenant. Or to put it in other words, two wrongs don't make a right. It's just wronger. Okay? What do you think God would have done if Israel had broken this treaty with the Gibeonites? Think he would have been okay with it because they, they were deceived into it? <laughs> now, thank you, Elder Ross. Um, and are we just speculating or do we have scripture on this? Yes, we have scripture on this. Second Samuel 21. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three consecutive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, it is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. That's how seriously God takes covenants. Israel experienced famine for three years. Why? Because Saul did not honor the treaty that had been made. You can read in 2 Samuel 21 how that was all resolved. But the bottom line is that because our God takes commitment seriously, we should too. Um, because more is at stake than our own agenda. God's reputation, His character is at stake as well. So you want to know what happened to the Gibeonites? And I think this is very cool. Verses 26 and 27. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day, he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the community and for the altar 
of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. Their place of service was at the altar of the Lord. And although they were servants, they had the privilege of being near to the altar on a regular basis and seeing the ministry of atonement and reconciliation worked out over and over and over. Do you think that had impact on them? Absolutely. If you read through the history of the Gibeonites, um, you get to the end of the book of Joshua, and and guess who gets the land of where the Gibeon, where Gibeon was? Aaron, the descendants of Aaron, the priests. Um, it became a place, a special place where God was known. About 400 years later, David put the tabernacle at Gibeon. The altar and the priesthood were at Gibeon. About, um, or at least one of David's military advisors, one of his mighty men, was a Gibeonite. Much later, when the Jews returned to the land after the Babylonian captivity, there were Gibeonites among them. And Ezra and Nehemiah, they were given an honorary title, the Given Ones, which um, meant that they were given to assist the priesthood in their ministry. Ezra, in his writings after the captivity, tells us that they were totally committed to the Lord and his house. Nehemiah says that there were Gibeonites involved in rebuilding the walls of of Jerusalem after the captivity. You see, God, God took this nation in and blessed this nation and used this nation to bless Israel. Other than Rahab, the Gibeonites were the only ones in all of Canaan who were folded into um, the covenant nation of Israel. You see, what God did in the end is God redeemed the Gibeonites' deception and the, um, the Israelite uh, presumption. And he redeemed it through Israel's honoring of their commitment. Because Israel honored their commitment, it brought this group of people to a place where they might believe in God and serve God for generations to come. I think that's awesome. So what are the takeaways for us? Well, the first one is that there's a place in the community of faith for liars and deceivers. <laughs> and I'm glad because I'm a liar and a deceiver. I'm a sinner in need of grace, as are you. And what we see in, in, in Gibeon, what we see in, in the fact, you know, even if you go back to chapter 8, when they were worshiping at Shechem, there were, there were aliens, there were Gentiles among them. And so what God keeps telling us 
even in the midst of this, this story of conquest, in the midst of this story of, of uh, you know, annihilating these people who oppose him, God keeps giving us these pictures that there's grace, there's grace, there's grace, there's redemption, there's redemption. And that's great news. But there's some real practical, there's two practical points that we need to take away from this with regard to taking new ground in our lives spiritually. The first is we can't just do what's only natural. Right? I mean, we can't just rely on what we see on the surface, on what, what seems to look like the best way to move forward. Yeah, we can't disregard that, but we can't let it stop there. We have to, we have to do what is supernatural. We have to use the, the weapons that are divinely powerful. We have to use the, the sword, which is the word of God. We have to be in prayer. We have to be people of prayer and people of the word so that we allow God to direct us beyond what is only natural to what is supernatural to what is spiritual, to, um, to what the next best thing for us to do is with regard to taking new ground in our lives. That's one thing. The second thing is we need to honor our commitments. Some of you may be wrestling with the consequences of entering into a... Um, a covenant or an arrangement or a relationship. Maybe it was a marriage. Maybe it was a business deal. Maybe, maybe it was something else. Some of you may be re- dealing with the consequences of, of stepping into something without consulting the Lord on it. Maybe, uh, I'm sure most, if not all of us, can think back on times in our lives when we had to deal with the consequences of, of moving into something without consulting the Lord. And sometimes we've, we've been in a situation where we thought, you know what, I can just, I, I want to figure out a way to get out of this. Well, have you ever thought that God doesn't want you to get out of it? Have you ever th- thought that God wants you to honor your commitment and in so honoring your commitment to that marriage or that relationship or that business arrangement as bad as it was that you got into it? that in your honoring it, you might be a sanctifying force in the life of that other person. Just as Israel was in the life of the Gibeonites. Friends, um, two weeks ago I stood up here and I I made a, um, I gave us all a charge about you know closing the the gap on our on our um, budget debt, and I have to be totally honest with you. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of faith, and I I knew it was possible, and God had done has done some amazing things in years past, but never four hundred fifty thousand dollars in two weeks, and I'm thinking. Well, naturally, that can't happen, right? I'm thinking only natural. But then the Lord 
did what he did and and you know this amazing thing happened and here we are um essentially having met budget god gave me god gave us a a glimpse of what he can do when we rely on him when we don't rely on what is only natural, but we say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to honor my commitments. I'm going to do what your word calls me to do. I'm going to do what your spirit calls me to do. And then we'll just go from there. And when we do that, guess what? Um, $450,000 can show up in two weeks. If need be. Uh, friends, that's awesome. And I am so excited because of what God has done and the, and the glimpses he's given me of his power and his glory and his might, if I'll just trust him. And I pray that all of us would be energized by that and excited by that and, and, and hopeful in the next step, even though we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Why? Because... Our God is a whole lot bigger than, than we are. He's bigger than only natural. He is supernatural. And when we step into that, we get to experience that um, firsthand. So let me pray for us. Lord, you're awesome. You are awesome, filled with awesomeness. And it is so exciting, Lord, when you, um, well, when we allow you to show up, because you always want to show up, it's just sometimes we don't allow you to do it. I don't allow you to do it. I thank you, Lord, for convicting me in these last weeks of just um, how meager my faith is. I thank you, Lord, of just blowing me out of the water with, with how big you are. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would blow us all out of the water. And that um, we would recognize that that's just how you work. I thank you, Lord, that in the cross and in the empty tomb, we get to see the ultimate display of blowing us out of the water as you provided for all of our sins all of our stuff, and you made a way that we could enter into relationship with you and live this abundant life. And so I pray, Lord, that as we come to the table this morning, that that would encourage us, energize us, um, equip us to take the next steps of taking new ground in our lives spiritually for your namesake. Amen.